You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. I'm Alex Wallachy, and I'm here today with Eric Shute and Jennifer Fleck to talk about this week's cover. Eric, as the author of this week's cover, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Um, essentially, the story is about the red zone, which is the six to eight week period whenever a uh, university opens where alcohol violations and other drug violations are seen at a um, all-time high. So during this period, the um, Eugene Police Department, uh, the OPD, and the school are kind of on high alert to educate students on school policy and to help victims of different crimes. And do you have any idea what causes the red zone? Um, yes, there, there, I mean, with anything, there are many factors, um, the, the majority of which is, um, among freshmen, we have a large, uh, population of students coming in who are probably away from home for the first time, who are in a new, different environment, who are experimenting with alcohol, who, um, come in with this mindset of how college is supposed to be with the partying and the, <laughs> I sound like an old man but like <laughs> all the different uh just just kind of perception of how college is and so they come into this and they they try different things and you know they aren't necessarily educated which I feel is what the school tries to do with their various um programs such as alcohol.edu or haven which is what the all the incoming freshmen try to do um, it, it appears to be, appears to be working, uh, just based on, off numbers, but it can be a little bit difficult to tell without looking at, um, a larger, larger pool of numbers over the years. Could you talk, oh, sorry, what were you going to Well, say? I was just going to say it's not, um, freshmen specifically that cause the red zone as well. It also comes a lot from, um returning students, coming back to school, meeting up with friends again, going out to the bars or other parties to celebrate the start of the year, and then um, commencing and binge drinking. When you're at the start of the term, it's just very exciting to see everybody again, and I think that contributes a lot to um, the jump and spike in parties and um, people consuming a lot of alcohol. So the relationship with the red zone is it's people consuming more alcohol and drugs, but it's also an increased risk of sexual assault. I've traditionally heard it used more for sexual assault, but it does make sense that there's a relationship between those factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And could you talk a little bit about the programs that UO does have in place and what you researched for your story? Um, one, of the, one of the main ones I looked at was alcohol.edu, and I talked with Jen Summers, who works for the Dean of Students office, who kind of um, spearheads the, the website. And I, I looked at various numbers revolving uh, um, that, which will be published uh, in the story um, in a either um, some sort of infograph or something like that. Um, and she, one of the main numbers, one of the interesting things I looked at was uh, the because they collect data from this, which is you know they collect data and also teaches from the data. Um, one of the things I looked at was the number of high risk students, which has you know a, a freshman coming in who are at high risk of using um, alcohol to a, um, I, I, I wouldn't say, I'm trying to think of the correct word, <laughs> um, dangerous sense or just unhealthy sense, binge drinking, students who are at high risk of that. And it appears ever since alcohol.edu has been collecting data, uh, that number has been going down. So I guess that's 
one indication of the school and how their um, how their effects are you know, affecting the numbers. But like I said earlier, um, there's, there's a lot of different factors at play. Wait, so alcohol edu? I remember taking that before I came to campus as a freshman. So it gauges it gauges voluntary response, and are they measuring data after that? Uh, measuring data later in the year against the alcohol edu survey. Exactly. So alcohol edu, along with uh, Haven, which is for uh, sexual violence, are in two parts. Um, so what they do is they they educate, they they get the initial response, and then they come back in. Students are supposed to you know do the survey again or some sort of data collection means, and they're able to compare the, compare those numbers and see how they're working. Like how, how it's going down, how it's affecting, and they use that as a tool to kind of adjust to see where they can improve, what's working, what's not, and exactly what kind of factors they want to target in order to decrease, you know, violations of alcohol and other, other illegal substances. Now, according to your story, um, you say the data collected from Alcohol EDU has indicated a decrease of high-risk drinkers on campus from 36% of first-year students to 29% in 2014. So that's a pretty drastic decrease. What stood out to you the most when you were researching this? Was there anything as a student and as a student who I assume has done Alcohol EDU that surprised mm -hmm. you? Um, well, when coming into working at this story, one of the one that's kind of uh, has to do with statistics and data, which is something you have to look at for this kind of story. One of the things I was really curious about was how bad does it get during the red zone? I mean, it's quite obvious that you know there is a higher number of students who are you know having drug and alcohol violations during this period. But exactly how bad does it get? So I was able to talk to. Kelly MacGyver with the UOPD, and I was able to look at the clear reports for 2014-2013, the clear reports being the uh, university publishing uh, their crime and safety data and reports into a nice little package you can look online. Uh, so I was able to look at that, and based off the numbers, about a third of the um, alcohol and drug violations occurred in the month of October and November for that year of 2013. So that's that's a huge amount of violations, and actually half of the uh, sexual uh, violations that were recorded, you know, throughout the year were actually recorded in those two months. So that's half, that's 50%, that's, so six out of 12 cases. So I, I that, that really surprised me about just how bad does it get during this period? And just to jump in, those are only acts of sexual violence that are reported. Mm -hmm. So that's only not that's yeah. not close to all of them. Yeah, that's those are only yeah, not not even close. That's just what the, what's recorded in the clear report by the URPD and by the university that's reported to them. And just one thing I find interesting from looking at these is a lot of times people see high rates of recorded sexual assault and sexual violence and they think oh this is a horrible thing but generally universities and public entities celebrate more people reporting these violences did you find anything about that in your research um yes when talking to uh let me look up her name just start your sentence Carrie over when you're ready. Ah, when talking to Carrie Frise who I uh, was also with the Dean of Students Office, uh, who kind of is a, who is uh, Jen's counterpart, who kind of focuses 
on sexual violence. She's the director of sexual assault prevention and education at UO. Yes, Carrie Fraser, the director of sexual assault and prevention at UO. Um, she was talking about how we're in a climate of increased reporting and how, you know, at first look, people were like, oh my gosh, there's so much more sexual violence occurring. But in actuality, you know, the university sees it as a good thing as more people are coming forward, more people are more comfortable reporting on those who, you know, break the law and who commit sexual violence towards others. And another thing I found really interesting in your story was you talked about new medical amnesty laws. Can you kind of go into that? And that relates more to drinking and drug violations. Yes. So medical amnesty came into effect in 2014 and Oregon is the 17th state to put that into legislation. Essentially what that means is if a student seeks medical attention for either himself or another person and is under, for, 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 um, for an alcohol-related incidence, um, if, if they're under the age, they won't be processed for a minor in prevention. So, can minor, I put that... Uh, sorry, I think it's minor in possession. Not that I have any personal knowledge of it. <laughs> just, I, I believe it's a minor in possession. Oh, yeah, so they would not be processed for a minor minor possession. So, essentially, with that, putting that into context, you and your friend, you know, under, under 21 have been drinking. Someone, you know, has been drinking a little bit too much, passes out. You, you know, call for help, call 911, um, and they'll fix them up, and you won't get uh, charged with uh, a minor possession. But, you you know, you would be charged for any other crimes that you commit for, uh, if, if you've been for drinking or whatever. So yeah, like, if you're, like, robbing a convenience yeah. store, <laughs> or like, and your friend is sick, and you call public the urination. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something, something like that, yeah. And so the idea behind this law was that um, there have been cases in the past, I can't uh, name it off the top of my head, where students, you know, were under the age, they were drinking, someone got sick, and they didn't uh, get help, uh, either for themselves or for another person, because they're worried about being uh, written up. And so the idea behind this law is to show students that it's more, you know, that helping your friend and making sure they're okay is more important in the eyes of the law than, you know, a minor, minor in possession or, or yeah. And can you talk a little bit about how these relate to the ASUO and ah. kind of the codes that the school has? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so medical amnesty is fairly new in the state. It was only put, you know, in 2014. So um, it is, medical amnesty isn't uh, specifically listed in uh, the code of student contact at code of student conduct as a uh, procedure or a guideline. Um, so UOPD or uh, other other personnel with the university, they will, you know, if someone is sick, you know, drunk, they, the, the priority is to help them and not, you know, write up a citation for minor in possession, but that isn't necessarily communicated, isn't necessarily communicated to students by um, the student contact. And so ASUO has been in, I would say, is interested in trying to get that in there to try and change that along with uh, Jen Summers with the Dean Students Office, she's also interested in, just so it's in writing, so students are, you know, will know that medical amnesty also applies when it comes to stuff on the university. So is it fair to say that it's in the Oregon law, but it's not in the university's bylaws or the ASUO's code, and that's what they're trying to fix? Yes, yes. They, uh, the university already pretty much abides by uh, medical amnesty, but it's not in school policy, so just having it written down somewhere, whether it be with ASU or with 
the code of contact is what their what the aim is, just so that you know people know about it. And Jennifer, you used to cover a lot of the state of Oregon politics. Is there, is there anything that sticks out to you about this? Um, it's just interesting that it's so new, um, and we're only the 17th state. Um, I appreciate Helena Schlegel, the ASUO president, told us that they are currently attempting to change and uh, make it a part of school regulation and put it in the code of conduct, which I think is really important because before covering the story, I didn't know that you could call and um, be a minor and not get charged. And that was after covering state politics and being aware of what was happening. So I think it's something that uh, students really just need to be educated about. And in your article, you mentioned a door-to-door campaign. Can you explain a little more about that? Oh, um, coming up, I can't remember the date off the top of my head, but the UO Community Welcome is coming up. Yeah, the UO Community Welcome is a... Um, it's an event where the mayor, mayor will be president, mayor of uh, Eugene. Hopefully, the president of the university will be there. It, it, it's listed as him being there, but you know he, he's a very busy person, so we'll we'll see. But I guess, I guess the point is essentially they get volunteers together and they go door to door um, to different frat houses, sorority houses, just kind of welcoming students and welcome into the community, greeting them, and kind of just running by school school regulation. And that's going to be Tuesday, September 29th. Mm-hmm. Great. And that'll introduce some of this medical amnesty or these Good Samaritan laws. Yeah. And can you explain a little bit of how the story relates, um, how the alcohol aspect of it and the sexual assault aspect of it, they're two pretty equally weighted issues, but how do they relate together? Um, how do they relate together? Uh, that that's a tough one because when when I was working on the story, they they are they are two two big subjects and they're not necessarily entwined. I mean they're both they're both problems, but it's not like if I was talking to um, Carrie Fraser about this, who helps with sexual assault um, resources with the dean of students office, and essentially I asked her if you know since it looked like alcohol violations um, were going down or problems of that was going down. Um, if that would lead to a decrease in sexual assault. And essentially what she explained to me was that um, predators, as she as she called them, people who go out looking to um, sexually assault people, essentially uh, alcohol can be used as a tool for them, and that hopefully a decrease in uh, liquor violations would mean that they're using it less as a tool, but that alcohol doesn't necessarily need to be present for someone to uh, attempt to be a predator and sexually assault someone. So while it is good that that alcohol is going down and alcohol.edu and other programs are helping uh, educate students with that, that that doesn't necessarily correlate with sexual assault going down. Do you have any final thoughts or? Yeah, well, um, so you close your story with a quote from Jennifer Summers, the director of Alcohol EDU, which I thought was very powerful. Um, she said, "Be safe, know your rights and responsibilities, know the laws, and always look out for your friend." Um, and I think that's very sound advice. I also think that if you are in a position where you're not sure um, whether or not you should call for your friend or um, communicate to someone that they need to call. Um, medical professionals for you, then you should call. 
um, because you're not going to get charged and it's better safe than sorry, uh, better healthy than sick. All right. <laughs> um, can you tell people where they can find you? Uh, Jennifer Fleck is the news editor at the Daily Emerald. And where can yeah. people find you? I am on Twitter at Jennifer Fleck. What about you, Eric? Where can people find you? My name is Eric Shute. I'm the I'm a news reporter, um, and I focus on the uh, on science and research done at the uh, University of Oregon. Uh, you can reach me at my Twitter, which is uh, just my name, which is E R I C S C H U C H T at Twitter. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us. I love yeah. doing these. Yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Keep listening to the Emerald Podcast Network and have a lovely day.